Pastor Ed Ray on the purpose of worship. Many people act as if they come to church so that they can get something out of worship. Well, there is a byproduct, but it's not the prime product. The prime product is to worship God himself. The result is that we are changed because we become like what we worship. What? Whatever you worship, you begin to act like, look like, seem to other people. Hey, welcome to another Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're online at thepackinghouse.org. And we're going and growing through the New Testament together. And today we pay another visit to John chapter 4. Jesus is in the middle of a conversation with a woman from Samaria, revealing her sin and the solution. He so masterfully points her to the truth, who happens to be standing right in front of her. Here's Pastor Ed. Jesus is revolutionizing this concept of speaking about the worth of someone, worship. In this case, the worth of God. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. It could happen anytime. Why? Because when you surrender your life to God, when I gave my heart to the Lord, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in me and in you. The same Spirit, Romans 8 says, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. And so you don't have to go somewhere to find God. He's in your heart. And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to stop and pray, to stop and worship. It's not about where you are. In fact, God is saying your whole life is supposed to be worship. How so? Well, if you're a mom making bologna sandwiches for your kids, do it as unto God. If you're a mom who's a surgical nurse and you're going to be taking people's life in, in your hands, do it as unto the Lord. If you're a guy building houses, a carpenter, do it as unto God. If you're a surgeon yourself, if you're an attorney, if you're a mechanic, do the very best mechanical work you possibly can because you're doing it for Jesus. There's an ancient book, 1600s, written by a guy named Brother Lawrence. This book has been recommended to Christians for years. John Wesley recommended it to all the Methodists that were under him. A.W. Tozer recommended it to his church in L.A., the Church of the Open Door. Brother Lawrence writes of this idea of whatever you do, do it as an act of worship to God. He wrote it this way, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? You work for God when you give him your life. Make everything you do the best you can and do it as an act of worship unto him. It's not about us. It's about God. God 
is the audience. There is an audience of one when we worship. We sang and, and we agreed and sang together things about God. It wasn't for us, it was for him. Many people act as if they come to church so that they can get something out of worship. Well, there is a byproduct, but it's not the prime product. The prime product is to worship God himself. The result is that we are changed because we become like what we worship. What? Whatever you worship, you begin to act like, look like, seem to other people. Example. Not a great example. It's just the best I can come up with. We have a neighbor, nice lady. She has dogs. She likes the little foo-foo ones, you know. And she is really into them. And I saw her the other day, and she was walking, Pomeranians, walking one of her Pomeranians, right? Got the hair all poofed out. I'm sure she teases it and sprays it with hairspray. And it's kind of pink looking, too. But I noticed the other day when she's walking the dog, her hairstyle is starting to look like the Pomeranian. Now, just so you know, I'm not picking on the ladies only. There's a guy that comes to the first service, and he wears a leather jacket. A Harley jacket, you know, it has colors on the back and, and fringe and conchos. And I know what his bike looks like. Why? Because when you go out and look at his bike, it looks just like his jacket. He's beginning to look like a Harley. Now, that's not fair because he actually loves the Lord, but I wanted you to get the idea of what's going on here. So God himself is saying, come and worship him. And in the process, we will gain something from it, but the worship is be directed towards him. George Barnett does a church survey every year, and he came to this conclusion recently. Amazingly, few worship service regulars argue that worship is something they do primarily for God. A substantially larger percentage of churchgoers in America claim that attending worship services is something they do for only their own personal benefit and pleasure. No, that's wrong. That's what God is saying. Come and worship me. Now, sometimes outspoken atheists that I like to talk to about God because it brings their blood pressure up, they say something like, what, what's with God? He needs worship? Does he need affirmation? Is he insecure in who he is? No, 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 no. God wants us to be changed when we worship him. But he wants us to focus on him because when we focus on who he is, his attributes, his character, what he's like, we begin to see the need for us to act the same way. You worship what you do not know, verse 22, Jesus says to her. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. She didn't know God's heart. Why? Because they only studied the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't study the historical books. They didn't read the Psalms. They had no idea what God was saying through the prophets, the major and minor prophets. So worship was something that comes from the heart, but it's not there. They're still sacrificing today lambs on that mountaintop. They think the way to get to God is to worship an animal. We know from Psalms, in fact, Jason read at the beginning of this service, Psalm 51. Listen to it again in this context. David writes, O Lord, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God is waiting for us to humble ourselves and say, I blew it again, Lord. And he never says, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. I'm trying to break down that wall where we're embarrassed about our sin. Now, Jesus is not being soft on sin. He's asking her to come and surrender her life. But she changed the subject to worship. So he uses worship to show that what God is looking for is for us to confess our sins. Heart is the issue, not outward words or position, how you stand, how you kneel, whether you sit, or music or, or rites, some kind of service. Verse 23, but the hour is coming. Jesus talking about where he was at that moment. The hour is coming, in fact now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now, the hour of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is coming. It's a ball that's already rolling. It's going to happen within two years of this encounter of Jesus with this woman. It now is. Nothing's going to stop it. It's going to happen. True worshipers, again, not identified by their position or their location, but by their heart condition, heart of worship is spirit and truth. We've sought, sang that song around here for a while. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. That's brilliant. That's exactly what this is about. Now, Jesus is going to repeat this twice so we don't miss it, in spirit and in truth. The Father, Father God, that worship is directed towards, is looking for worshipers. Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth. To show oneself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal towards him. When our heart is directed towards God, he sees it. And he goes, what was that? God is looking for that. God-centered worship is revolutionary. Not music, not man-centered, not self-centered worship, but to God himself. We need scriptural worship outlined in the way the scripture says to do it. The Father is seeking those. God is looking for worshipers. And if the religious elite are too proud or too busy to learn to worship him his way, then he seeks the worship of those whose lives are trapped in moral ruin. Aaron Lutzer, a pastor, said that. I love that. God's looking for worshipers. But if you're so proud and you're well, I've been a Christian for 45 years. I go to church every Sunday. I got a Sunday school pen that says I have perfect attendance. God's not impressed. In fact, if that's keeping you from learning of how to worship God, then he'll go to the drug addict. He'll go to the prostitute. He'll go to the alcoholic, the down and outer, the homeless person, because they're teachable. And God wants us to humble ourselves so he can teach us. Jesus is certainly not afraid to go to the outcasts of the world, inviting them to come worship him. Maybe you feel like an outcast today. Know that Jesus welcomes you with open arms 
and you can worship him freely. Let's finish up John chapter 4 now with Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. There's another thing embedded in this verse, spirit and truth. He'll say it again in verse 24. So what does he mean by that? So if we're just worshiping in spirit, we want the feelings. We want the goosebumps. We want emotion. We want passion. And there's many churches today that are over on that side. That's what they're looking for. I'm going to offend a lot of people here, but hang on. On the other extreme, there's people that worship, that are worshiping this morning somewhere in these United States and the rest of the world where it's all cerebral. It's creeds, it's the, I just can't keep from putting my foot in my mouth. It's the catechisms of the Catholic Church that I grew up in. It's the Heidelberg Confession for some of you who grew up in other denominations. It's all about words. Well, I have a understanding of God, but it's all over on that side. It's dead orthodoxy. I'm absolutely orthodox in what I believe. Yeah, but you died five years ago spiritually and you didn't notice. God notices. Well, I'm doing laps at church. I, I, I need salt tablets and tennis shoes. Where I worship, we get into it. It's passionate. It's full. No, is it God's way? Is it truth and spirit? Or is it all one or the other? Verse 24, God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is a very definitive statement about the nature of God. God is invisible, okay? That's not my opinion. That's what Scripture says. First Timothy 1.17, Paul the Apostle wrote, Now to the King Eternal, he always was, he is now, and he always will be. Now to the King Eternal, immortal, never going to die, invisible. There it is. You can't see God. Why? We have very limited eyesight and earsight. The electromagnetic spectrum. What? It's waves. Waves as wide as a football field or as narrow as an atom. We only see the part right in the middle. We only hear the part right in the middle. God is invisible because he doesn't live in these four dimensions. Sorry, there's no way I can explain this in the way I understand it and the way the scripture says it without going into science, okay? So we live in four dimensions. How so? Up and down, back and forth, and here to that wall. So we have height, we have width, and we have depth. Fourth dimension is time. Right now, at this moment, I'm right here. I'm not there any longer because one of the dimensions changed, okay? Now, I could do that with calculus or I could just do it and say the words. It's a lot easier if I just say the words. Now, God is not in four dimensions. He's in five or six or seven or eight or 11 because that's what physics has learned that there's at least 11 dimensions. I'm sorry, that blows my mind too. What? He's right here, but we can't see him. When we gather in his name, he said, he is there in our midst. Well, I can't see him. Why? Invisible. Now, does that blow your mind? It's supposed to. God is multidimensional. Beyond 
and above the time-space continuum, if that helps you any. God is otherworldly. In essence, radically. Fundamentally different. I'm going to use some non-Scripture words just to, for those who aren't familiar with Scripture. God has given us access into the other domains through two methods, prayer, a portal, a pathway to get to him through prayer, which requires us to humble ourselves and say, Lord, and through worship. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's absolutely necessary Worship isn't a luxury. It's something that I have to have in my life. If I don't praise him, I will dry up. Again, God's not struggling with his own identity. He doesn't need my affirmation. I need to remind myself that he is God and that I'm not. No surprises there. Ask my wife. <laughs> Worship in spirit alone is unbridled emotionalism. Worship in truth alone, it's dead orthodoxy, it's all cerebral. Both of those together, and we grow. We are reaching God, he reaches back to us and changes us through prayer and worship. The book of Revelation says all our prayers are collected in heaven. God holds on to everyone you ever prayed. That one you, when you prayed for a new surfboard when you were 12, he heard that. It's stored in heaven, in vials. Someday they're going to fill up and spill over and he's going to come and redeem all those prayers. I can see by the look on your face I'm losing some of you. Okay, verse 25, the last section. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. What? She called him a Jew. Then she began to say, you might be a prophet. You know stuff about me you shouldn't. And now she's thinking, hey, you know, there's this other thing we Samaritans believe about the Messiah coming, a son of David. I wonder, is it possible there's a coming Messiah? The Messiah would be a teacher. He's talking to me. Could it be? And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, that's as clear as you can find in Scripture where Jesus confesses who he is, God the Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christos. He's standing in front of you, lady. Self-disclosure. Why did God choose this woman to give this great truth to? Because she was broken. She was humble. I have no husband. Triggered God to respond in his heart to her heart, just like you do when you fess up, when you confess. When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's God's promise. I just love this set of scriptures because it's the same thing God said to Moses when Moses is standing in front of the burning bush in Exodus 3.14, and he says, well, who am I going to tell Pharaoh sent me? He said, tell Pharaoh that I am that I am. I am God. I always was. I am now and I always will be. Pharaoh's nothing. But I love him and I want to do some things for him. Ten different plagues. Thanks anyway, God. <laughs> I think I'll just go with I believe. <laughs> 
Why did Jesus do this? Because he loved this woman. Why did John include it? Because John's gospel is to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he says in chapter 20, towards the end of the book. We'll get there about the year 2029. And there he says in verse 21, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John only spoke of seven of them. He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God the Son. And so here Jesus discloses to this woman, I who speak to you am, I am. I am that I am. One of the few places I just love that the creator of the universe comes down and talks to the least likely person in the village. He does that here all the time. I just love to see it. You know, it's our habit here at the end of the service to say, if you don't know Jesus, raise your hand. And I looked over here a few weeks ago, and there was the least likely guy in the room. I'd actually seen him a couple of times, you know, as I was speaking, teaching. And he's all tatted up, got the sock hat on, got a tear tattooed on his eye, which means he'd killed somebody. He's all bust out, been in prison for a while. You could tell from all the tattoos. And I thought, I'm just talking to the wall over here. Kept turning away from him. And I said, you know, raise your hand if you need forgiveness of your sins. I looked, <laughs> it was him. God took the least likely person in this room. He takes the least likely person in this village to display truth. Aren't you glad? That's why I love this particular section of Scripture so much. It clearly shows God's heart, his character, how he looks at you, how he looks at me. Okay, I, I use kind of a strange illustration. Several years ago, somebody cut out a little classified ad from the San Jose Mercury, the newspaper, I remember it. I was looking at it the other day. And it was an ad in the Lost and Found. And it said, quote, Lost, black and tan dog of poodle, German shepherd, and doxy descent. Bad left eye and left hind leg missing no hair on rump recently neutered answers to the name lucky $50 reward and I read that and I said lucky people would think they were lucky if they lost this dog you'd be happy he was gone not this family they paid money they offered a reward. They paid money for the classified ad, and now they're saying, we'll give you more money if you find our dog. Why? Because that family loved that dog. They're probably kids at home. He was part of the family. And they wanted him back in the family. God paid the price for you and for me. He wants us in his family. He wants to adopt us. He wants us to spend eternity with you and him together. Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. We're studying the Gospel of John right now with Pastor Ed Ray. And if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy 
at 844-77-GRACE. This program is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We have an exciting resource to tell you about today. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Grace is a word we love to hear, but many of us don't know what it really means. Sure, it's how God saves us, but it's also how we grow. Pastor Chuck Smith shares insights from his own life and reveals how grace changes everything in our lives when properly understood and applied. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE and we'll send this your way for a gift of any amount. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'd also like to hear what God is up to in your life. Is he using this program to help you grow in grace? We want to know. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's all the time we have for today, but mark this spot in John's Gospel and join us next time as together we grow in grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now build with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your